Well, John chapter 19, verse 16. This is God's holy word. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, we've come this afternoon to the fifth of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And this fifth saying is a very short one, boys and girls. In Greek, uh, the Greek of the Gospels, it's one word, just one word, translated as two words in English, I thirst. I thirst. We can know different degrees of thirst in our own lives. Maybe we spent a hard day out working in the sun, digging uh, with a shovel. Uh, Maybe we've played sports and we've experienced it, or maybe we've had different kinds of sickness or illness. And we've experienced thirst to one degree or another, but thirst is often part of the last battle of death. Over the years, I've sat at the bedside of several people who were dying, including my father last year. And when you do that, if you've done that, you know it's easy to feel so very helpless. As I think about those times, one very common thing stands out. Being there 
at someone's side, I've asked, what can I do? What can I get you? What would you like? And it's never been, I'd like to watch a movie or the next new series on Netflix. It's never, please get me the latest fishing or fashion magazine or a deck of cards. But what it is very often is this. I'd like something to drink. And that's how you bless them. You can hold up that cup and straw, helping them to balance it maybe in their weak hands. You slide a splinter of crushed ice into their mouth. Or sometimes all you can do is hold a wet cloth or sponge up to their dry lips. And if we've experienced things like that, or even if we're just hearing about them now, in an external way at least, we see some of the same experience here in the gospel account of Jesus' death on the cross. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been accomplished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. One scholar says, crucifixion was a form of punishment and execution designed by a cruel people to put criminals to death and to do it with the greatest degree of humiliation and torture. But the most unmitigated of the sources of anguish combined in that worst form of death was the terrible thirst. Earlier in the gospel, we read that Jesus was offered a cup which he refused, if you remember that. That was a drugged cup in order to deaden pain and to cloud his mind, and that he refused. But this was different. This was sour wine or wine vinegar. It was diluted with water and was a very popular and common and expensive thirst-quenching drink. Historians tell us it was a favorite drink of Roman soldiers on duty. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. There's a condition, in, it's called in English, dipsomania. The Greek word here is dipso, I thirst. Dipsomania, it's often used of desperate alcoholism. But originally it described a person experiencing uncontrollable thirst. And so here is the fifth saying of Christ from the cross, I thirst. A two-word treasure house of truth. A.W. Pink said, what a text for a sermon. A short text, it is true. Yet how comprehensive, how expressive, how tragic. The maker of heaven and earth with parched lips the Lord of glory in need of a drink, the beloved of the Father crying, I thirst. What a scene, what a word is this. And it is. We said before that the cross, though, revealed in Scripture to us everything necessary for us to know 
is still so mysterious in so many ways. We can't completely comprehend it. The light of the world hanging in darkness. And now particularly the fountain of living water enduring burning thirst. There's a new telescope that's up in space. It's named after a NASA administrator, James Webb. Maybe you follow the James Webb Space Telescope. 6.5 meter mirror, 18 separate segments that unfolded into shape after it was launched. The mirrors are made of ultra lightweight beryllium, a tennis court sized five layer sun shield guards uh, from the heat of the sun. Four instruments, cameras, spectrometers, detectors, all piercing in, peering in to deep space. One instrument has programmable micro shutters that enable observation of up to a hundred objects at the same time. It's peering more deeply into space than anything human beings have ever seen before. It's interesting. Some people are saying astrophysicists are, are panicking in a way because of what's being seen because how blatantly and repeatedly what they are seeing is contradicting the Big Bang theory. They're seeing things and it just doesn't fit their theories. But as we think of that telescope peering in to this vast universe that God has created. This afternoon, as we have the word of God before us, may God help us just a little bit more to peer into the work of Christ on the cross for his people. Because how much more there is here to see and to explore and to learn. May God help us then as we think just briefly this afternoon about some of the things we can discern and learn from the thirst of Jesus on the cross. Well, the first is this is an indication and evidence of his true humanity again. And the Gospels are filled with evidences of this. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. John 4, 6, at Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. He was hungry. He was tired. And now he is someone who can say, I thirst. The eternal Son of God became man and took to himself a, a true human body and a reasoning soul. He's made like us in every way, yet without sin. Over and over again, the Bible points to the true humanity of Jesus. In the early centuries of the church, the Greek philosophy of the day just objected to the idea of anything spiritual and good coming into contact with what they said was necessarily evil, anything physical. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And he did it for us and for our salvation. This is uh, the part of the glory of the Christian gospel and the Christian God. God the Son humbled himself and without ceasing to be who he always was and is, truly God, 
He became what he never was before, but now continues to be forever fully man. God and man, one person, two natures forever. Not a God, not God turned into a man or man turned into a God, but the God man, one person, two natures without confusion or division. This is the glorious Redeemer and the wisdom of God's salvation. And in his true humanity, he says here, I thirst. He's our sympathetic Savior. He knows our weaknesses. He knows bodily suffering. He knows physical discomfort and pain. He sympathizes with the weaknesses of his people and with your weaknesses as a Christian. Paul spoke of the thorn in his flesh. We can have all kinds of different things that we may think of as our thorn in the flesh, but it might be your flesh that is your thorn in the flesh. It might be something physical in your life that is the great place of suffering, that is the furnace of affliction, the crucible, testing your faith, It may be things happening in your body that are the constant burden to your soul. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. What a comfort to know a a God-man redeemer who knows us and who remembers our frame and knows that we're dust. The humanity of Jesus. Once again, we see here explicitly as well the Perfection of the Bible in its predictive prophecies. And we sang from Psalm 22 earlier in the service. We've read from John 19, and I hope you say, hey, we sang that. What are we reading here that happened to Jesus? We sang it in Psalm 22, written centuries before it happened. And here, uh, with this particular saying of Jesus, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Even a detail like that was prophesied long ago. And I don't think it's hard to imagine that something like the thirst of Christ even was was perhaps part of the Bible study that Jesus led for those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 26, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Psalm 69, 21. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 22. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Jesus saying, I thirst, is another piece of evidence that the Bible is true. But as we think of Psalm 22, the thirst, and then immediately by prophecy, Jesus saying, you have brought me to the dust of death, and thirst combined with death. Even as the Bible thirdly prophesies the physical thirst of Jesus as he was crucified, we need to see deeper still. We need to consider thirst from the Bible and to see it in two ways because we need to distinguish 
There is a thirst apart from God. There is a thirst that we see in Scripture apart from God. And then there is a thirst after God. A thirst for God. And we have to see, though, because thirst is applied to both of them, but they are intimately connected. First, thirst, then, apart from God. The context of Christ's thirst is, of course, that midday darkness, the cry of forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at this point on the cross, as John tells us, just before Jesus says it is finished, the thirst of Christ's body is a pointer to the thirst of his hell-enduring soul. One writer said, Christ's thirst was the effect of the agony of his soul in the fierce heart of the wrath of God. Jesus was forsaken on the cross as he carried the sin of his people. And this was the spiritual repercussion of being forsaken by God, the anguish that results from God removing his presence, his gracious presence, from a human life. The Bible uses this human experience, connects this human experience so that we can get just a glimpse of what was involved in Christ's substitutionary atonement and what the pains of hell are when the Bible here records Jesus saying from the cross, I thirst. Again, another scholar says probably few people in this country know what the torment of extreme hunger is. Fewer still the torment of extreme thirst. But they who have tasted this cup of bitterness testify to the fact that the torment of thirst is the worst suffering that can come upon the human frame. Travelers lost in the desert have dug like animals in the sand for a sign of water or with glaring distended eyeballs have rushed frantically toward the mirage that they thought was water. Jesus says, I thirst as he experiences the wrath of God for his people. Jesus spoke in a similar way in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, when in Luke 16, 24, the rich man cries out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And what Jesus speaks about the afterlife for those in hell, we have to see him experiencing on the cross for his people. I thirst. I thirst. I think there's a sense that this Thirsting as well can not only describe the, the torment and punishment and misery of sin, but can be a way of understanding sin itself. The sin that Christ endured for his people. God created man to be satisfied only ultimately in God himself. 
Every other passion and pleasure is meant to be a pointer to the pleasure found with and in God. At your, at, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we know that in sin, people seek those things in created things rather than the creator. Physical thirst is something so strong and so consuming that it provides the perfect imagery for the deepest longings of people. You ever use that language? Have you heard that language? To thirst is language that we use of someone wanting something so badly that they do almost anything to get it. We talk about people having a thirst for knowledge or a thirst for wealth or a thirst for revenge or a thirst for pleasure. The human life can be described by thirsting something. But what is it? What do you thirst for? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you go to bed grumbling about because you didn't have it? What are you thirsting for? You can answer many things, but is the living God at the top of your list? Can I honestly say before God, I thirst for the living God? What would my use of time, money, Thinking and planning suggest is what I really thirst for. In sin, human beings thirst after anything and everything but the living God. And for those sinful desires, and lives, Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, I thirst, as he experienced the wrath of God for sin. And because he did, there's the forgiveness of sin. And there is the new birth. And there is a new creation. And there's a new life and there are new desires. I spoke with a young couple earlier this year down at the Banner of Truth conference. They were helping, and they were new Christians, new Christians, brand new Christians. You know, you, you, we have people in the congregation that have a brand new baby, and it's wonderful to see you go to visit, you see the brand new baby. These were brand new baby Christians. And it's just wonderful to see them and listen to them and talk to them. And, and it just struck out what they said. They said, you know what? Here's what God did. Here's how I know he saved me. And they both said it. He changed our desires. He just changed our desires. Before we were saved, we desired these things. That was life for us. And now, all of a sudden, we just have different desires. They mentioned many specific things. They said before they never desired to get married. They never desired children. They just wanted to do their thing and live their life to the night. They said, how did, how did that happen? Now, all of a sudden, one day we don't, and now we do. We desire a family. But most of all, they said, we never thought about God. 
And then he saved us, and we desire God. We desire to know him. We desire to be with him, to spend time with him and in his word. We never had that desire before, but now we do. There is a thirst apart from God that is a sinful thing that leads to eternal punishment and torment, a thirst apart from God. But when God saves a man or woman or boy and girl, he puts in their heart and their soul a thirst after God. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, of course, the point is not that we can, are not allowed to enjoy the things of this life. We can and we should. Sometimes we can and we should more than we do enjoy the good things of this life. But if that is all we enjoy, if it's all we live for, if it's all we're thirsting for, that means eternal death. Are we thirsting for God? Even as believers, we know none of us thirsts for God as we should. In sin, we don't thirst for God at all. And hell is eternally living that out. But when Jesus said, I thirst, as he suffered for his people, he did that so we could be relieved of thirst. So that we could never be thirsty again. This is the gospel call. Thirst, come and drink. Living water freely to all who thirst. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in the abundance like the, in abundance like the depths. He brought out the stream, streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, they all drank of the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. A thirst after God. What does this mean, though? What does it look like? I was helped with the honesty and the helpfulness of, of John Piper when he was meditating on the verse, John 14, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And he honestly said as he prayed to God, what do you mean? I'm so thirsty. My church is thirsty. The pastors whom I pray for are thirsty. Oh, Jesus, he says, what did you mean? And as he meditated upon the text, this is what he came to. Jesus saying, when you drink my water, your thirst is not destroyed forever. 
If it did that, would you feel any need of my water afterward? That is not my goal. I do not want self-sufficient saints. When you drink my water, it makes a spring in you. A spring satisfies thirst, not by removing the need you have for water, but by being there to give you water whenever you get thirsty again and again and again. The thirst remains, but there is a satisfaction for that thirst as we come to Christ, as we come to his word, as we come to the sacrament by faith. Are you thirsty as a believer? Do you have a desire for God, but you know you're not thirsting? We sing the Psalms and you go, I know that's true, but it's not me today. I can't sing. I can sing, but, oh, it's hard to sing as the deer pants for the water so my soul thirsts after you because so much other stuff is getting in the way. We can be thirsty as the people of God, as the children of God. We're crossing deserts, the deserts of this life all the time. We have the opposition of enemies in this life and spiritual enemies. And we say, I'm weary with my crying and my throat is dry and my eyes fail while I wait for my God. We wrestle with ongoing sin. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And God meets our thirst and dryness. Sadness, the sadnesses of life can bring a dryness into our Christian lives. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. We've been saved from a thirst apart from God. And we're not perfect in our thirst after God. But he is patient and long-suffering and gracious to us. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yahweh the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what we need to do is just by the ordinary means of grace. It's like taking your bucket to the well and letting it down again and knowing that if you do that, according to the word of God, you will draw it up and there will be something there for you to drink. The world looks at this and says, Are you people crazy? Just this thing that you're doing here, as if it's any good or help or real or or anything, but you come in faith. You say, I'm thirsting after God, and I'm thirsty. I'm just going to trust that if I come looking to Christ according to his word, that he will satisfy my thirst. Blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Come to the Lord tonight and drink. That's what we need to do every day. Come to the Lord again and drink. Because we're not in heaven yet. But one day, they shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to fountains, living fountains of water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus.